This episode of Literary Treks is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and to help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program of the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. And if you want to join the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode, join the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field. We look forward to seeing you there. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry and you're listening to Trek FM. some light reading in case I got bored. Welcome everyone to Literary Treks episode 223. We are your official Star Trek books and comics podcast here on the Trek FM network and I am one of your hosts Bruce Gibson recording from San Francisco this fine day. I don't live in San Francisco I'm just in San Francisco for this recording. I like to do remote recordings for the show. Live from Starfleet Academy. <laughs> That's right. I know. I'm actually close to where it would be. I oh, should just cool. like actually we should stop recording and let me go over there and do it from that location. <laughs> I'm game. Okay, let's do it. <laughs> and with me as always, of course, as you just heard, Dan Gunther. How you doing, Dan? Hey Bruce, doing well. Really excited to, of course, as usual, talk about Star Trek books. I'm not in San Francisco. I'm just at home, but uh still, you know. Great to talk about Star Trek. Yeah, you know, every time we do the show, you're always at home. Mm -hmm. You've never done one from the road, have you? No, I, yeah, I, I'm not a big fan. I don't trust hotel Wi-Fi. I, I've never, <laughs> never had good experiences. I, I trust my home internet. So yeah, I don't know. I'm, yeah. I don't know. I'm trepidatious about that. <laughs> I don't trust it either, but you know, when I travel from my job, it was I don't know when we would record. Yeah, <laughs> well, know? luckily I'm I'm back teaching now, so I don't have to do a lot of traveling for my job, which is good. So, yeah. Well, that is good. But you know what traveling you do like to do? You like to trek through the stars. I do. I love to boldly go where no one has gone before. <laughs> <laughs> well, in today's show in our feature, we're going to talk about William Shatner's Captain's Glory. Uh, it's the third and last book in the totality trilogy of uh, his books. And so we're going to get into that. But before we do that, we're going to go into some news items. We have another book that we want to mention in our news item. And we'll, we'll kind of review it. Uh, it shouldn't really take that long to do it. <laughs> but this is an official licensed book uh, from CBS. And it's called Star Trek The Next Generation Cats. Indeed. <laughs> it's not the Broadway musical. No. <laughs> <laughs> this is, these are illustrations 
of scenes from all seven seasons of The Next Generation. And we've replaced our characters with cats portraying them. So, for example, if you go into the book like I'm doing right now, there's actually uh, two pages where we have all our crew uh, identified and it has their illustrations as cats in (laughs) uniform. And even Wesley's a little kitten. (laughs) I mean, this is a fun book. Now, there was an original one that was a TOS book, which I've never seen, but now, uh, so I'm going to have to go and get that one now that I have this TNG one. But, you know, Dan, I have to admit, when I first got into, I'm like, okay, what, I'm not, I mean, I have cats. I do have two cats, but it's like, I don't know if I want to mix my cats and Star Trek together. But as soon as I just opened this book and started looking at these illustrations, I was loving it. I was actually like laughing at some of these. What about you? Yeah, I kind of had a similar experience. You know, I saw this book and I'm kind of thinking, okay, uh, what's really the point of this? But it does grab you. Like once you start flipping through it, and of course, you and me, we're very well versed in our Star Trek The Next Generation episodes. So you recognize a scene from an episode, but they've replaced the characters with cats. And I should say this is by Jenny Parks and very talented illustrator. And uh, yeah, some of these are really great. Like, for example, you've got uh, some of the crew from the Enterprise. You've got Riker and Data and Tasha Yar facing off against a cat Armis from the episode Skin of Evil. And, uh, you know, there's some really cute stuff in here. I don't know. It's kind of hard to do it justice in a podcast because this is really something that if you see it in a bookstore, you should really see it to believe it. And it's, it's a lot of fun. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I know. It's like, I don't even know how to do justice by talking about it because it's very visual. You you want to mm. see it. Um, but yeah, if you see it in a bookstore or even when you go online, I'm sure you can find some of the pages online just to take a look at it. But you know, like some of my favorites are, you know, remember when we'd see Troy and, and Crusher exercising together? And <laughs> that one's great. <laughs> <laughs> we see them as cats stretching <laughs> the way cats stretch. <laughs> and they have their little leotards on. <laughs> mm-hmm. One you mentioned that I really like is uh, you might remember from the episode The Game, right? You see from the perspective of the person playing this game that projects these little discs and uh funnels that you have to get the discs into uh kind of vr thing so you see it from that same perspective but there's just two cat paws trying to swipe at the discs while while this cat is playing the game and that one's a good one <laughs> yeah and i mean there's like ro laren is at in ten Ford at the bar with her headband on mm-hmm. as a cat and then you know there's gynan and it says my name is gynan i tend bar and i listen Yet she's lounged on the bar, <laughs> laying on there like a cat with her big hat on. <laughs> um, I have to do a special shout out to uh, there's one with Waxana Troy as a cat and she's nuzzling Captain Picard cat. And Captain Picard cat, I should say, is played by a hairless cat, which is great. And uh, there's a really, really tall Mr. Holm cat behind them. So, <laughs> Yes. And one of my favorites is uh, it's a, it takes up two pages and it's so appropriate too. But cor- of course, because we would see our uh, TNG crew playing poker. So oh, yeah, it's yeah. 
cats playing poker, just like the famous, you know, pictures you'd see of dogs playing poker and stuff. <laughs> this is the TNG crew playing poker as cats. Excellent. So there's all that kind of stuff in there. But yeah, it's available, I think, through most, you know, online bookstores and, and such. So you can just go online and, and buy one if you don't see it at a local store. Yeah. And uh, I mean, it, it's a really cool, just as a little art piece, this is something that, you know, some of the conventions I've gone to there, I, I don't, she's not the same artist, but there's somebody who did a bunch of pop culture personalities as cats and was selling prints. And my girlfriend got one of Princess Leia as a cat. That's just a really gorgeous piece. So, you know, well, that's so great because my <laughs> cat that passed away a few years ago, her name was Leia. Oh man, I should, uh, I'll have to see if I can get her to find that and I'll, I'll send a picture of that to you because it's, <laughs> okay. it's really, it's really great. <laughs> it was the only name that my girlfriend at the time would agree on with me. And ah, she thought it yeah. was short for Himalaya. <laughs> and then when she found out it was for Princess Leia, she got mad that she agreed to it. Oh no, you, sn you snuck one in there. Eh? I did. Now you know why we're not together. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, speaking of Star Trek, hey, we have a comic. Dun, 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 dun. We do. Star Trek Boldly Go, number 17. I feel like it's been a little while. It has been a little while. I don't know how long, but it has been a little while. But, you know, when we left our Star Trek crew of the Enterprise and the Kelvin Universe and the comics, we had various crews of enterprises from different universes. We had ones that looked like plants and ones that were like silver metal or something and where everyone's a different sex and so on and so forth. So we had all kinds of different things and we're picking right up into that storyline. And it starts off at the Academy with Kirk and Bones heading into, I guess, an assembly room of some sort. And there's all the Kirks. Mm -hmm. all standing there. There's even green ones and bald ones. And heck, I don't know if those are all supposed to be Kirks or not. Yeah. It's a, a bunch it's the entire auditorium filled with Kirks. And I have to say, it's not actually bones. It's Gary Mitchell. That he oh, that's was. right. It is Gary Mitchell. Duh. Yeah. I'm so, just so used to seeing bones in that uniform, that Starfleet red uniform. <laughs> yeah. Right. And, uh, so we should say at the end of the last issue, right, it ended, we had those three, alternate stories going concurrently and at the very end all of the kirks were in no win scenarios right they were they were killed seemingly at the end and this is picking up where that left off and we've been speculating what has been causing the convergence of all these people from different universes all mixing and mingling together because we were hearing a voice talk to them mm -hmm. and we were like could it be q and they were like, I don't know if it's Q, but who else would it be? Yeah. <laughs> well, we get the answer in this comic. That's all I'm going to say. I don't know. Should we spoil it? Or, I mean, it happens pretty early on. Yeah, it's pretty early on, I think, the reveal. So I, I think we're safe to, to let everybody know what's behind it. I have to say, I was surprised. They got me because I, I couldn't think of who it might be. And this was an interesting twist. I couldn't think of anyone either. And then when I saw who it was, I was like, duh, why didn't I think of that one? That, <laughs> Well, I, I think I know why we didn't think about that one. Um, 
so we're going to go ahead and reveal that right now. If nobody wants to hear, skip ahead like five minutes or something. Uh, so Dan already kind of gave a hint on that <laughs> <laughs> because it starts off with, you know, Kirk at the Academy with Gary Mitchell and what happens to Gary Mitchell later on? Well, they go to the galactic barrier and he becomes, you know, the shiny eye God thing <laughs> That's mm -hmm. what I'll call him. And of course he's got these powers, but we thought he was dead. Yeah. And, uh, it turns out that he is not actually dead. So, the way that issue played out is slightly different to the way it played out in the prime universe In the prime universe. Gary Mitchell is crushed, I guess, under the, that rock and on Delta Vega, but in the ongoing comics, uh, he was killed by Kirk with a phaser rifle and buried in space. But it turns out he didn't die completely, I guess, and kind of reawoke while out in space and, has come back to, in the tradition of many villains in Star Trek, exact vengeance on Kirk. Yes. And I would say so far in this storyline, this is my favorite issue so far. Because, I think because we were surprised, and it's not all this weird different crews on these different dimensions that look like plants and silver things and whatever... And we're going like, this is strange. This is really weird. This more plays out the whole dynamic and the relationship between Kirk and Gary Mitchell from the Kelvin timeline. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I enjoyed it. So, I mean, this isn't the last of the storyline, but I like where this is going. Yeah, I have to agree. This Of this storyline, I've enjoyed a few issues before, but again, I felt it was just kind of going a little bit crazy and with itself, trying to do all these different universes. And I like that the story has kind of coalesced into something a little bit more understandable and we get some answers as to why this is happening and who's behind it and what Gary's ultimate goal here is. So, yeah, I'd have to say this is my favorite issue of this miniseries as well. Yeah, and I really enjoyed the artwork too. I mm -hmm. thought that looked great. We got uh, one panel with Jayla, so it's always cool to see Jayla show up. Yeah, and what a panel too. That's a that's a cool shot. <laughs> yeah. It really is. So that was a pleasant surprise. So, yeah, number 17 of Star Trek Boldly Go. Uh, looking good. And the story continues after that. So uh, we'll be covering 18 when that comes out. And we'll see more of the shenanigans with Mitchell and Kirk. Yeah. So. Looking forward to that one, I think. Me too. Was there anything else you want to talk about, Dan, before we go into the feature? I don't think so. I think uh, I'm ready to talk about one more, well, not not the last one, but another Shatnerverse novel. <laughs> you can That's hear true. the excitement in my voice. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> hmm, maybe we should go back to Cats. Would that yeah, help? there we go. <laughs> you know, that, that Cats book is the kind of thing you need if you're not feeling well and you just need a little pick-me-up. You just open that and put a smile on your face. Exactly, yeah. Just like a cat, you know, you pet a cat and you feel better. <laughs> Unless the cat tries to bite you and scratch you. So that's not always good. So yeah, let's go into the feature. I'm so excited. So as Dan had mentioned, yes, this is another Shatnerverse novel. And so far we have covered, uh, not, this will be the ninth one. Um, and there's a total of 10. And so they're all trilogies until we get to the 10th one. 
which is Collision Course, which is a Star Trek Academy book by Shatner, which we have coming up on a later episode. But on this episode, we're on that ninth book, and it's of the third trilogy. It's the last book of the trilogy. It's called Captain's Glory. And, of course, by William Shatner and with Judith and Garfield Reeves Stevens. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, when we started off with Captain's Peril, we didn't really care for that one very much. (laughs) Not so much, no. (laughs) Great (laughs) cover, though. (laughs) Oh, yeah. The covers are great. Then we go on to Captain's Blood. And we like that one. Mm -hmm. That was good. Now we're on to Captain's Glory. So who knows what we think of this one? So let's go ahead and get into uh, discussions about this book, and then we'll let you know when we get to a point that we think, you know, we're hitting spoiler territory. So let's just kind of give you the flavor of what we're getting into. So in Captain's Blood, Spock, well, no, if you haven't read Captain's Blood, this is kind of a spoiler. So, but in Captain's Blood, Spock is apparently killed by the totality. It comes and, and just takes all its black stuff and swallows up spock in the way that it does and kirk is witness to that but kirk suspects that spock is still alive because he's also in this book hearing spock's voice in his head saying we're life jim but not as they know it Mm -hmm. and kirk doesn't know really what that means yet but he just thinks it's a sign that you know spock spock's still alive i have to go and save and spock and so Kirk goes on his own personal mission to find Spock, which is against, you know, what Starfleet says he can do. And he's going to go to Vulcan and do this anyway. And as the story is beginning, I thought this almost feels like Star Trek three, the search for Spock. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, this is something that I think has played out a lot in the Shatnerverse novels. It's, it's almost a trope at this point that Kirk has to, go against the wishes of Starfleet and it's kind of him versus the universe. But, uh, but yeah, this one in particular, just the fact that he has his ship, you know, crewed by Scotty and bones and, and a bunch of those people basically. And the holographic doctor, interestingly, who seems to make a lot of appearances, right? The actual one from Voyager, not another holographic doctor, that one from Voyager. Right. And yeah, it it does feel like the search for Spock, you know, that's one of my favorite bits from that movie is stealing the Enterprise and kind of going rogue. And even though it happens a lot in these novels, this one did feel, you know, a little bit more in that style than we've seen before. Yeah. Don't call me tiny. (laughs) So great. (laughs) But, uh, but I like that feel. It, started to feel to me when I'm reading this book as if it's a movie. Mm-hmm. And I sometimes get that from other Shatner verse novels, but uh, this one in particular, I started to feel that way. Um, but just having the ship, which, you know, Kirk is not on a typical Starfleet starship. Mm-hmm. This is another ship that we learned from the previous books. Well, the last book actually that he was given to Starfleet and it's a Starfleet vessel, but not in the terms of what we're used to as a starship. It's kind of disguised as what kind of like a, uh, kind of an, an older rundown ship. They call it a Q ship basically. Yeah. They call it a Q ship. Kind of a spy ship. Uh, yeah. in the, in the previous novel, Captain's Blood, it was named the Calypso, I believe. And, uh, Kirk has since renamed it the Bell Rev, which, uh, yeah. You know, it's his own 
own personal ship. Interesting. I, I don't recall if they mentioned why he picked that name. I'm, I don't know. I don't think they did mention. They just mentioned that he renamed it to mm-hmm. that. But they didn't. I don't think they ever said why. Yeah, I'm, I'm wondering the, the reasoning behind that name because, yeah, I don't know. Well, anybody who's listening that knows, you need to let us know. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so uh, we'll post this episode, of course, in the Babel Conference so you can comment there. Um, but then also we find out that there are 128 Starfleet officers that are missing, and it's 129 if you count Spock. So we begin to discover that these people are missing but also that ships are becoming unstable. Their warp core drives aren't working and, and the ships are being destroyed. So there's some connection between these people missing and these starships failing with their warp drive. And so Starfleet has to stop all warp flight travel through space. Mm-hmm. But then we have Janeway, Admiral Janeway, telling Kirk that uh, these warp this problem could be uh, a development in their new warp technology and someone is sabotaging the ships. And then we even experience Riker on the Titan who was watching a supernova and as soon as they're ready to warp out, the warp drive doesn't work and they have to get rid of the warp drive and now mm-hmm. they're s- stuck in the supernova. But then this alien uh, vessel that was also watching the supernova was trying to rescue them and then they had an issue so it's it wasn't just a starfleet thing it was being affected by the romulans and the klingons and so on and so forth so something bigger was going on than just somebody attacking starfleet right i have to say that sequence with the titan too was uh, a really really great bit of writing that had me on the edge of my seat you know the idea that they're seconds away from being destroyed by the supernova and it, this is fairly early in the book, so I think we're still free from big spoilers here. But, uh, you know, just and, and, and the fact that also they're bringing in the novel continuity with Riker and the Titan and his crew more so than in the last novel, because I don't think they had those specifics nailed down yet. They really avoided showing Riker's crew that here we get, you know, Ensign Lavina at at the helm, the the helmsman of, of the Titan and various other characters and Tuvok at Tactical, for example. So it's really cool that they're tying it to the novel verse continuity as well. Yeah, and Christine Vale was mentioned. I mean, right, she doesn't yeah. have a big part, but I remember that she was briefly in there. So yeah, it's definitely tying into the other novels. And uh, the Enterprise also takes, uh, is part of this the story too. So we're getting several different things that are woven in because Worf is first officer of the enterprise with Picard in this book too, which is from the novels. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think they mention uh, a couple of the other characters. Anyway, I was, I kept waiting for them to mention Chen because she's one of my favorite characters, but she didn't, uh, didn't appear, but this might've been slightly before her. They did mention uh, counselor Talana, the Vulcan counselor who was, uh, around actually just for a couple books there before well i should stop spoilers for other books so (laughs) anyway yeah it's it's hard to talk about these books without sometimes spoiling other books because they're so interconnected (laughs) and the thing is even if they're interconnected you don't have to don't feel like you have to read every book to figure out what's going on the authors always do a good job catching you up or explaining something so you're not lost. So I, I always want to point that out because I don't want people to feel like, oh, I can't go and read because I haven't read all these other books. You don't need to, believe me. Mm-hmm. If anything, it might inspire you to go read something else later, but 
I don't think you're going to be lost. Yeah, no, absolutely not. This is, I mean, like I say, it brings in a bunch of that continuity, but it is still, I would still call it the Shatner verse because it still is its own kind of, uh, universe in quote marks i guess it's its own kind of separate thing it may mention stuff from other novels and the novel verse but the novel verse will never mention that kirk is alive and flying the bell rev around with his son (laughs) because that's it's just yeah that's that's kept separate (laughs) yeah and this even though may reference other books it it doesn't have any impact on the story you're not going to be lost especially in this book so Mm -hmm. But, uh, okay, so one thing I wanted to talk about, and maybe now we're starting to get into some spoiler territory here, getting close. Uh, in Captain's Peril, the book that we didn't really care for, that takes place on Bajor, you know, I'm glad we read the book because it has some play in this book. And mm-hmm. having that backstory really helps really get deeper into this story. Some of the things that propel Kirk to do what he does. And so uh, in captain's peril, there's this Bajoran child that is sick and is dying because of this illness. And uh, it was believed that she was being punished by the will of the prophets and also for her father's transgressions. So now we fast forward into this book and Kirk's son, Joseph is missing on Vulcan. But Kirk has the call to return to Earth to try to stop the totality and, and do whatever stuff. Because if he can help stop the totality, he might be able to get Joseph back. But this is one of my favorite parts of this book. When Kirk is on his way to Earth, all the other starships near Earth are on lockdown. They can't use warp drive, nor can they allow other ships to come through with warp drive. And so as Kirk is starting head towards Earth, he's confronted by or with the Enterprise with Picard on. Now, at this point in the books, Kirk and Picard are best buds. And so they know each other very well. And they, they go on vacation together. I mean, <laughs> to Bajor. <laughs> Uh, which will come up about five or ten times in this novel. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Right. <laughs> but the thing is that this totality is also taking shape as, uh, like, these 128 that are missing, the totality could come back as one of those people. So sometimes you don't know if someone is the real Dan Gunther or the totality Dan Gunther. We don't know who's real and who's not. (laughs) And so Kirk doesn't know if the Picard on the Enterprise is real, and the Picard doesn't know that the Kirk is real, and they don't even... Picard doesn't know that anybody serving f- with Kirk could be not the real Scotty or the real Bones or whatever, or, and vice versa. So they start testing each other. So Kirk then mentions to Picard from ship to ship that uh, his child is missing. And in order to determine if this is the real Picard, he says that he mentions the Bajoran child that was dying. Mm-hmm. And Kirk was able to conclude that and respond to Kirk in a way to know that he was actually talking about Joseph. 
He never mentioned Joseph. He was talking about the Bajoran child and the father's uh, transgressions. And Kirk even says the sins of the father. That was the clue. Mm -hmm. The sins of the father. And then Picard knew that Kirk was on a mission to save Joseph, even though he's mentioning the Bajoran child. Right. Make any sense what I just said? <laughs> no, yeah, no, it totally does. I mean, I've been drinking sake, so <laughs> I'm. Oh, I'm jealous. Um, no, I. I mean, he mentions you know the sins of the father, which I thought you know Picard would say, oh right, that episode where we first met Kern, but uh, no, yeah, no, he's referring back to this situation on Bajor, of course. But uh, yeah, I really liked that that kind of. Um, I, I guess it's not unspoken communication because they are speaking, but you know, this, how well they know each other and how well they're able to read the situation because the, the fear is that just using life experiences, you know, as far as memories go to try and identify people that might not be enough. It might be that the totality has access to that. So that's not really going to work. It really is Kirk proving to Picard that, you know, how he thinks his psychology that makes him who he is and vice versa. The fact that Picard's able to understand that tells Kirk that Picard's the real Picard as well. And yeah, I really liked that. I thought that was a really interesting concept. I think what I really like about this book and about this scene is that I feel like the relationships between these characters is so deep in the previous Shatner verse novels there's there's some of that, of course, but we're mixing in matching crews. But for the most part in these books, uh, Riker and the Titan crew, in essence, return to the Enterprise since the Titan isn't working. So you have Riker back on the Enterprise with Picard and Troy's there too. And she's being the counselor, helping Picard through this mission and this crisis and such. So it feels like you have the old gang back together. You know, the band's mm-hmm. back together. And then on this other ship, you have Kirk with Spock, Bones. Well, we don't have Spock yet because we think he's dead. But eventually, spoiler alert, Spock does show back (laughs) up, which we'll get to in a minute. But you have Kirk, Spock, uh, Bones, and Scotty on a ship together. So Mm -hmm. it's like you got the TOS crew on one ship and you have the TNG crew on the other ship. And it's like there's these two storylines playing. Yet at the same time, Kirk and Picard are so close that they can almost read each other. And then there's this whole scene where, in essence, they're kind of going into battle with one another uh, because they're not necessarily shooting at one another, but Kirk's like threatening to ram his ship into the Enterprise to get through the blockade, and they're calling each other's bluff, and they're mm-hmm. figuring out which, what each other is doing. And Picard's saying, like, I know Kirk well enough to know that Kirk is doing this because of this. And Kirk's saying, I know Picard well enough that he probably knows what I'm doing, and so I'm kind of do the opposite of that. But yet, Picard knows I would probably do the opposite. Like, <laughs> it's like this whole thing. They <laughs> totally figure each other out. And then at this point, I'm realizing that, you know, they've had such a history together that Kirk and Picard really are close, just like you would think Kirk and Spock are. Yeah. Um, and I, I think this is probably we've we've teased a little bit, but I think we should say spoilers here now for sure, for sure, for sure. If you haven't already turned back, turn back now if you haven't read it. But if you don't care or have read it, you know, listen on. But yeah, that that whole I have to say that whole sequence with Kirk versus Picard on the ships. I really liked the psychology of it. I liked that 
the two of them know each other that well. I, this is the only part in the book though, really that annoyed me that they were going to fight each other and, and you know, this stalemate was happening. And I kind of like actually that Riker shows up with the Titan is like, listen guys, stop. What? Like, we need to come to an understanding here because this is ridiculous. We're wasting time fighting each other. We need to confront this threat together as a united front. And, you know, what will it take to, you know, settle this and make you trust each other? But it, you know, I know, I know people like the idea of Kirk versus Picard. And a lot of people that I've talked to anyway, were somewhat disappointed that generations didn't end up with Picard on one bridge and Kirk on another facing off against each other kind of thing. But it felt a little bit contrived to me that these two would be at odds. So, you know, such to the point that Kirk is actually contemplating heavily damaging the enterprise and taking out a few of its decks. If, you know, he attempts to leave and, you know, he's not bluffing kind of thing. Uh, it strained credibility for me. But that said, I really did like the psychological aspect of it like you did. And I can see that. But at the same time, it didn't it didn't feel like the, you know, one's evil and one's not or there's a misunderstanding and one's mad at the other. I mean, they weren't angry at one another. Mm -hmm. uh, to me, you know, it's more of Picard's like, look, this is what I have to do. And Kirk, I know what you have to do. But I really can't allow you to do that. You know, yeah. I mean, I'd like to, but I can't. And Kirk's the same way. He's like, and I understand, Jean-Luc, what you have to do, but I have to do what I have to do. And I can, it's like the struggle of them saying, you know, I respect you and what you have to do, but I have to prevent that from happening. And I'm going to try to do it in a way that doesn't, you know, totally damage you too much <laughs> you know I'm trying to be yeah. a little delicate with this so it wasn't like a you know kirk hates picard and picard hates kirk type of situation no, so for sure. that i would have hated you know because mm -hmm. i always you know feel like every superhero comic has you know one superhero eventually you know fighting the other because they're mad at each other <laughs> yeah know? i do not want the batman v superman of star trek <laughs> <laughs> no but uh but no, I, I, I see what you're saying. But there was things about this that also played to me like the Wrath of Khan. You know, it's um, just trying to guess what the other's doing. And there's this almost, even though they're foes, they had respect for each other in a sense with Kirk and Khan. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, not that Khan liked Kirk, but there was certain respect for Kirk. Um, but I, I felt like this, you know, the two people trying to figure each other out and trying to be one step ahead of the other. So I just liked that scene. I mm -hmm. thought it was pretty good. So, yeah, no, I, I agree with that. That was, uh, like I say, the psychology of it and the, I guess maybe not one upsmanship, but the, you know, what data would say in peak performance, knowing that he knows that we know that he knows, <laughs> you know, like that, that kind of trying to, to play it out was really cool. Exactly. I did feel like, you know, there was this, well, I know what you, I know what you're thinking. You know what I'm thinking. I think what you're thinking is what I'm thinking, but I know what you're thinking, you know, whatever. <laughs> At some point you're like, what's going on? <laughs> so, but then we have, uh, Kurt confronting the totality, which is Norinda and, mm -hmm. uh, has found that Spock has found peace in the totality. And he asks Norinda for Spock's return. 
and she states that Spock has always been with him. And all of a sudden, Spock appears laying on the floor in front of Picard, I mean, in front of Kirk, which I was a little confused. It's like, well, what does that mean that Spock's always been with him and all of a sudden he appeared? What did you think of that? Yeah, I wasn't quite sure. There's there's kind of a, a lot that happens towards the end of this book. Well, not even towards the end, I guess, but, you know, where... I don't know. A lot of things just seem to happen because the plot demands that they happen. I'm I'm not sure exactly what was meant by that exactly. But uh you know, Spock has spent basically a year with the totality and learned a lot about them. But yeah, as far as always being with him, I'm not sure exactly what you meant there. <laughs> yeah, I don't know either. Um and maybe I mean, it's not as Katra or anything, but maybe it's something like that, because especially if Picard, I mean, I keep calling Kirk Picard now, <laughs> especially since Kirk was hearing Spock's voice. So maybe I think Spock was reaching through the totality to Kirk. And maybe that's what she meant, that he was always there with him because he was always Spock was always reaching out to him. Maybe yeah, that's what she meant. He always had a connection to him, maybe because, you know, they're so close. Uh I don't know. I always, I always keep getting lines from Star Trek pop into my head. I recently rewatched uh, City on the Edge of Forever, and I love the way that Edith Keeler describes Spock and Kirk, not even really knowing them, where, you know, Spock says, where would you say that we should be? And she says, you at his side, like you always have been and always will be. And I just, I don't know, I love that. I love that idea that these two men have such a close bond that... Maybe that's what she meant by, you know, he's always been with him because his he's got that link to him that just can't be severed. Yeah, could be. Absolutely. Well, and then Spock, he comes around after a while, after he appears on the floor, he gets up and walks around like a zombie, but then he starts becoming more like himself. It <laughs> sounds, it it's actually plays better than how I described it, but... Um, <laughs> He explains to Kirk that the totality didn't come from the Andromeda galaxy like they suspected, that the totality arose from our own universe. And he says, quote, they are the life force that inhibits, I'm sorry, start over, quote, they are the life force that inhabits 96% of the universe. It is we, chemical-based biological life, that occupies the remaining 4%, end of quote. So, in essence, he starts explaining how that we are actually parasites in the way the totality looks at us, mm -hmm. that they feel like they must exterminate us, and they are giving us the chance. They're being nice. The totality thinks, hey, I'm, I'm going to be nice. Instead of exterminating you, I'm giving you the chance to join us, get out of this 4% and join the totality, and it's all through love, and you need to accept love and all this stuff love like you know it's hippie totality <laughs> yeah this concept when it came up as soon as spock said they are the life force that inhabits 96 percent of the universe i was immediately like oh my god the totality is dark matter and that's exactly where they went which i loved i thought that was a really cool idea this, this is still something that you know really perplexes physicists to this day you know the the mass of the universe there's a ton of it that we can't a ton <laughs> way more than that of it that we can't account for with all of the matter that we see 
um, you know, stars and galaxies and nebula and, and, you know, matter. And so a vast majority of this mass has to come from somewhere else. And it's, you know, what scientists have termed dark matter, that it's just matter and energy that they can't see. And I love that. I love that this book used that concept and used it in a really interesting way. And it's one of those things that you can tell from the first book, Captain's Peril, in this trilogy. Like, if you think back on all the instances they've talked about the totality and, and how they've appeared and stuff, you can tell that was their idea from the beginning. This isn't like an 11th hour, oh, hey, this is what they could be, cool. You know, they didn't write themselves into a question and then answer it this way. This has been, you know, what they were planning from the beginning, which is really cool and made made these stories feel a lot tighter to me. I mean, the non Bejor vacation parts of this story <laughs> anyway. <laughs> sorry, I keep keep ragging on that but you know other than that you know this this idea this concept really knits this trilogy together and i, I just a great concept i really love it i it made me think just what you were saying i wonder if uh judith and garfield reeves stevens and shatner sat down and came up with this idea first and thought oh this would be a really great ending to a trilogy so let's figure out what stories we're going to tell leading up to this and therefore that's where they came up with the well let's put them on a vacation in the first book and build up to it you know because it does seem like maybe this was all planned ahead of time it feels like it yeah given i mean yeah the narinda chapters in captain's peril maybe not so much from what we get there because she kind of seems just like generic enemy kind of thing but definitely that epilogue with the uss monitor in interstellar space feels like oh yeah that that all fits like everything fits into place with this idea of dark matter so it's very possible they came up with this end point that they wanted to get to or at least as a frame for what the enemy that appears throughout the trilogy would be. Do you think Picard asked Kirk, oh, we should go on vacation to Bajor, but I don't know how to get there. And, <laughs> and Kirk says, we'll use Priceline.com. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, you kept talking about vacation. I kept thinking of Priceline.com. <laughs> <laughs> it's very possible. <laughs> So on the subject that we were talking about, not the Priceline subject, but the other, um, Kirk says to Spock, what is life but the search for answers? And Spock says, in the totality, we may have found them. Kirk says, I can't accept that. Spock says, you weren't there. And I like mm. this because it's like, you know, that whole thing of Spock looking for answers. That's not just about logic. Yeah. And what's cool about this part, because it, it, it had echoes of other things we've seen in Star Trek and that idea of Spock searching for answers, uh, you know, in the original series, we see him very being very logical, very Vulcan. And then where that kind of changed a little bit to me was Star Trek, the motion picture and his encounter with V'ger, you know, this kind of thing that expanded his mind a little bit and made him see things from a different perspective. And I've got that same feeling from this a little bit, just the way when Spock responds to Kirk, you know, when, for example, in motion picture, where he's talking about V'ger, 
he says he's asking questions jim is this all that i am is there nothing more you know i, I just that same kind of crack in spock's zen view of the universe i guess maybe it's just you know just a little bit of crack in his logical facade that that i, I don't know i really like when spock gets in, introspective and and kind of full, philosophical <laughs> i do too and i actually just recently uh, watched the motion picture not for the first time come on i've seen i saw it when it first came <laughs> out in the theaters and i've seen it a million times after but th- you know I, I mentioned earlier about a scene that reminded me of the search for Spock and then, you know, Wrath of Khan. And now we're talking about the motion picture. And, but I didn't feel as if this book was like, you know, pulling scenes or ideas out of these movies. I just feel like, like you said, mm-hmm. it's almost like just a feeling, a sense that it kind of feels that way. And I think it feels that way in, uh, with the motion picture with Spock is because we are getting that Spock that's really diving deep into understanding and, but at the same time, when he's in the totality, he didn't totally give himself. He was tempted to totally f- give himself to the totality forever and go all the way in, but he didn't. But there was the temptation there because all the answers that he's looking for are there. But I think mm-hmm. he knows that he really you know, needs to get his foot out of that and back into our universe. Yeah. And I found it really interesting, too. Uh, when the crisis is resolved and everybody, you know, everybody's kind of supposed to be back where they they get to, they they find out that there are so many people that have been replaced on all the ships and stuff. They come up with this weapon that the totality can't deal with gravity wells because they, you know, were formed away from matter. They're the dark matter. They don't experience gravity the same way we do. Yeah, they have to increase the gravity by, what, four times regular yeah, gravity? Yeah, 400% of, yeah. And so they come up with this weapon to be able to do that. And as they expose ships to that, they find out that, you know, 20 people on this ship crumbled into this matter and disappeared. And then, you know, five on this other ship. So, so many people have been replaced. And this is just kind of a long way to get to the point that, you know, when everything's resolved at the end, I love that not all of them returned. You know, some of them chose to stay with the totality like it's the totality is a really cool adversary because they honestly do believe that they are doing the right thing and that they are elevating people to this state that you know raises them above this low level existence that we have down here in our four percent of the universe and some people went along with that and and went with them and maybe that experience does provide the answers they were looking for. And I I found that really interesting uh, that some people chose to experience that and kind of move on to that existence, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. There's so many things like that. There's so many things in this book that I wanted to put into the show that I didn't even cover everything. It's stuff like that, you know, that was just really fascinating to me as Mm -hmm. Spock would say, fascinating. (laughs) So um, the other thing I wanted to mention, too, we were talking about Narinda, uh, who's part of the totality, or the totality represents themselves as this woman, Narinda, and she even changes her look to accommodate what she thinks the other person wants to see, you know, um, mm-hmm. which I'm kind of disappointed we never got to see Edith Keeler in anything. <laughs> you know, she never appeared that way to Kirk. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but... Uh, 
So Picard prompts Kirk to remember that during his original confrontation with Narinda, that her ship was tracked at a warp factor of 15 from the galactic barrier. So they think the totality may be related to the galactic barrier and coming from that. And Picard points out that there have been theories that the barrier was constructed artificially 4 billion years ago. And I think the speculation was maybe it was created to block the totality, thinking it was coming from another uh, universe and keeping it out. But he also explains that just six years ago, the Enterprise itself penetrated the barrier by using artificial wormholes. Now, this was a reference, or is a reference, to the Greg Cox books, the Q Continuum trilogy that we covered on Literary Trek episodes 195, 198, and 201, where Amy Nelson was on with us. Mm-hmm. And this is in reference to that. And Brandon Shamatel is reading this book along with us, and he pointed that out to us. And, and I remember reading it, but I was like, what, wait, what is this from? And it wasn't until I heard from Brandon, I was like, oh, that's where it's from. Yeah. Yeah, that was a great I I'm a, I can't think of anything else it would be referring to, but yeah, that was in that in that book. The that's the original experiment that the Enterprise is conducting when they they get waylaid by Q and the Calamarine and all of that stuff. But yeah, they're trying to penetrate the galactic barrier that Betazoid scientist Lem Fowl is is conducting those experiments and I don't know, this is a really cool um, reference and and I, I I assume that's to those books so good call I'm assuming that's uh, Judith and Garfield Reeve Stevens who are bringing that in I, I can't see William Shatner having read those books I, I could be wrong in all fairness but you know I, I don't think so somehow you know if if their names weren't on the book with Shatner's and it was just Shatner's name, we'd all be like, you know, he didn't write all this. There's no way he would know all these episodes and all these books to make reference to. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely not. But, uh, you know, it's, it's really welcome to have, you know, references like that. It kind of changes the meaning of the barrier a little bit, but I guess maybe it was constructed to keep out the totality and had the added bonus effect that we learn in those novels of keeping out the entity called Nil uh, from entering the galaxy as well. So maybe one or the other is just a fortunate happenstance of, of a concerted effort to keep one or the other of them out. <laughs> well, it was speculated by Starfleet and Picard, but it doesn't mean that that's why it was there. Because we do find that the totality is in our universe, not from another. So maybe it wasn't constructed to keep out the totality. That That's was true. Just yeah. Speculation or thought at the time. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know, but and, and we're jumping ahead now to the end of the book real quick, but um, the powers and the purplish color of the totality comes to uh, play at the end of the book with Joseph facing off the totality and using kind of like that that power of the galactic barrier against the totality life form. Yeah, and I, I also kind of liked that they brought in the idea of the progenitor race, the race that we see at the end of the episode, the chase. And to me, the thing that echoed really well, which I thought was, you know, a great thing to tie into the theme of the book with Kirk and Joseph as well, is the fact that this race built the barrier 
not to protect themselves because they knew they were dying, but because they had seeded all these worlds with the humanoid template, I guess, they were building it to protect their children, which I thought was a really cool concept. And just, you know, one of those things that when you read it, just it just kind of brought a smile to my face as I was reading. That was a, a kind of beautiful concept. And I also like that there was mention, why can't the totality attack Kirk? Why can't it bring Kirk into the totality like it's done with others? And there was also talk about how the Enterprise, at least Kirk's Enterprise, has been able to go through the galactic barrier uh, without any issue where other ships can't. As mm-hmm. if there's something special about Kirk and the Enterprise, I guess from that first meeting where you know, Gary Mitchell, who we mentioned earlier in this episode, um, <laughs> you know, that whole where no man has gone before episode kind of comes into play and may have changed some things in the universe when it comes to the galactic barrier and the totality. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a little ambiguous there um, where Kirk is saying that, oh, you can't, uh, you, you've had several attempts. You could bring me into the totality, but you haven't been able to. I've got that advantage. And then it seems like that was a bit of a ruse and that they could, I guess, do it. But we're just using him to get to Joseph or something or to counter Joseph because Joseph turns out to be basically in the same way that they, I, this is what I got anyway from the book. It it kind of happens quickly that it's explained, but because the, the way that they assembled the genetic message from the progenitor race was by assembling all these pieces of DNA from all these different worlds. Joseph is kind of the personification of that because he comes from so many different backgrounds, uh, you know, Klingon, Romulan, human kind of all mixed together. And uh, he's kind of like one of these progenitor race aliens and so is able to counter the totality. That's kind of what I got from it anyway. Yeah, it's a a little confusing, but as you're talking through it, and I I, I think it's that they need Joseph and they can't just, they can take Kirk. They just Mm -hmm. don't because they need Kirk to come willingly because if Kirk comes willingly, then Joseph will come willingly. Right. If Kirk doesn't, if they force him, then Joseph is going to be against that, which we, which actually ends up happening. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which is an interesting turn for sure. And see a little surprising because that was one thing that the, the plot twist seemed to be a little bit quick. He seemed to be very much, you know, in love with Narinda and stuff. But I guess basically when Narinda turned on Kirk and Joseph, Joseph said, you know, you promised you wouldn't hurt him. So I I could see why that made him kind of turn the tables on her there. (laughs) Yeah. And going back to the ease of going through the galactic barrier with the Enterprise, it also made me think of Star Trek V, how they're easily able to go in to see Shakari, you know, go Mm -hmm. to the center of the galaxy where before, you know, apparently it was difficult for starships to do that. So he somehow has this ability, uh, somehow in the universe, to get through these things. Ah, he's he's William Shatner. I mean, he's Captain Kirk. He's awesome. <laughs> at this point, is, can we separate Kirk and Shatner at this point? I don't know. <laughs> no. <laughs> you know, it's funny because sometimes when I read this book, I'm thinking 
a lot of Shatner himself, and I try to make him more grounded as Kirk. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, where I just hear him being a little too playful, and I'm like, no, 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 turn that down. <laughs> well, uh, one of the things that I wanted to bring up, and this kind of has to do with what we were talking about earlier with the the warp drive of the Federation being systematically wiped out. One of the things this book made me think of was, um, you know, how close the Federation is to disaster and how close we as a society are to, to, to disaster. Um, I think they've said that, like, you know, you miss one day of, of food shipments, you know, and then within a day or two, all of this, all of the supermarkets in the U.S. and Canada, for example, would be empty and, you know, for a week, what would that do to our society? And I was thinking about that with, you know, what would the loss of warp drive do to the Federation? And, you know, all these planets that have all this interstellar trade and diplomacy and defense and all that stuff, it would just shut down. And once again, you know, planets would be hundreds, if not thousands of years from each other being able to travel. And I don't know, it just, that that's something that came into my head and made me think about things like that. And, you know, I'm kind of one of those people when I start thinking about things like that, I start getting a little anxious and <laughs> like, Ooh, maybe I should stock up on, t- on canned goods. <laughs> <laughs> so wait, a Shatner verse novel makes you think I need to stock up on canned goods. <laughs> a little bit, a little bit, you know, that's funny. no, but that's good because it, it's interesting when you put it in that context, when we say, Oh, these starships aren't allowed to use warp drive. You, know, you take it on the surface and just go, oh, well, that sucks. I guess, you know, Starfleet's not going to go on any five-year missions or anything. Oh, well. But no, there's some devastating effects to that. It's not just about going and exploring. It's, you know, like you said, bringing food to, you know, colonies or supplies and such. I mean, even when we were reading, uh, talking about Tarsus Four the other day, I mean, mm-hmm. that was like a big part of that story uh, with uh drastic measures the discovery novel of you know they needed relief they needed supplies they needed someone to come help well if you know warp drive wasn't capable they would have never no one would have come to their rescue at all yeah and codas would have like his plan actually would have had some validity because no one (laughs) would be coming to help them (laughs) yeah exactly and i mean how many times have we seen in the original series where the enterprise has to deliver medical supplies to some ship or colony they have to rendezvous and transfer something that's in dire need somewhere or everyone's going to die you know so it's you know stuff like that and then even beyond that just you know earth and vulcan never ever making contact again you know that's i don't know it's it's it i i felt like you know it was a huge deal in the novel but i almost feel like they could have made it a bigger deal like this is something to really panic about and i mean i guess they do they have you know they've moved federation headquarters to this bunker they've you know mobilized all these ships for the defense of the soul system and all that stuff but uh you know i i don't know it just i was like why isn't everybody freaking out about this all the time yeah <laughs> No, they really could have played that up more. But like you said, the bunker, they had to relocate Starfleet. I also enjoyed seeing Janeway as part of that. There's a lot of interactions between Janeway and Riker and Kirk and Picard. And just having those four together was was a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. 
And then uh, they had those. Uh, the thing that I found interesting, too, was those wristbands, those wristband sensors that they were using for somatic continuity. You know, it was constantly scanning them and, you know, you'd have to walk into secure areas. And uh, I think it was Riker was alarmed at how e how quickly and easily everyone was getting used to, you know, like holding up their arms to show that they had their sensors on to get into a secure area. And for some reason, this was making me think of like comic cons or concerts where every time you go through a door, people are like, wrists, wrists, I need to see your wrists. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> see, you're bringing Comic Con into the Star Trek universe. That's that's how it works, you know. Yeah. Exactly. Well, and also because they were using transporters as they would transport people to leave them in the transport buffer, whatever, for a while to figure out if they were really who they were, mm -hmm. uh, and running tests on them in there. They could do that at Comic Con. Like I wouldn't mind beaming into <laughs> the convention center that way instead of going through line with my wristband. That would be pretty cool. I'd be okay with that. <laughs> And then uh, the other, one last thing too, and I almost didn't put this in the uh, in the notes here, but I, I had this thought, and then I read this week's comic, so I was like, okay, I have to mention this now. Was they briefly mentioned Delta Vega at the end, uh, having a colony on it? You know, they had the lithium cracking station there in where no man has gone before, and I have always wondered. You know, we see Gary Mitchell supposedly crushed under that rock. I always wonder if something of him survived. And if I were Starfleet, I'd be like, okay, quarantine that planet. Nobody can go there. I mean, if he is all powerful, that still wouldn't stop him. But in the meantime, you know, just let's never go there again. But I guess that never happened now that there's a colony in the 24th century. And the fact that Gary Mitchell shows up in the latest comic that we just read too, I was like, okay, I've got to mention this now because that was just a weird coincidence anyway see i feel like i need to go back and read this because i remember them talking about the colony on delta vega i was just assumed they were talking about the old colony that was there that they like i don't know i don't know why i'm thinking they they got sucked up in the totality and but i guess it was from this new colony that's there that got involved with the totality right yeah because in where no man has gone before it's an unmanned uh, outpost that I guess automated ore ships go and visit there every 20 years or something. But other than that, it's completely uninhabited, uh, which is why basically they're saying like, we'll trap Gary on the surface. And if we have to, we'll blow up the whole station to, you know, take him out kind of thing. Cause there's no one there. So I don't know. Yeah. I didn't know if they were talking about the ones that were there prior to that, that built the facility but no i guess that doesn't really make sense i guess it is from the 24th century but i do like that they they called that out and went back to that i just you know it's just so fun when they make all these connections and then mm -hmm. you know from different books and and episodes and stuff and just kind of all put it together like oh it all fits like it should have been like that's maybe how, why it was created in the first place but it wasn't <laughs> they all had it all planned out from the very beginning and I loved how we got to see uh, Kirk and Spock and, and Bones and all, I mean, all these characters portrayed as cats. It was just so fantastic. Oh, wait, wait. I'm sorry. That was the book we talked about in the news segment. Sorry. Oh. <laughs> Even Memories. that was part of the grand plan of Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, I, 
you know, I think we can wrap this up. Uh, you know, my final thoughts real quick are just that I, I love this book. I don't know why I just did. I just really think I liked the fact that it reminded me, like we we're saying the sense of some of the movies, it felt like Star Trek. I mean, all these books feel like Star Trek, but it just, there's just little like echoes that made me think, Oh, that feels like, like you said, the V'ger thing in, in the, uh, motion picture or so and so forth in the search for Spock and, and all these things. And, and, the characters, I just love the relationship between the characters and even having the holographic doctor on the ship with Kirk and his crew uh, and Janeway being around and, and the Titan crew and the Next Generation crew, all these people. And it just, I just like the connection they had. And I like Kirk having a son and, and the things that he's dealing with and his son, this whole thing, the whole totality. There's just so much stuff in here that I just really loved about it um but a lot of the theme was about love and we didn't really talk a whole lot about it but you know it's obviously the love that these characters have for one another is stronger than any temptation that outside love could try to take from them and that's Mm -hmm. kind of like the message i got in this book but overall i mean i would say that I give this book the whole galactic barrier. Nice. That's a really good uh, rating. Yeah, no, I agree. I really enjoyed this one. I think it, like I said, it's, it's a story that really tightens up the entire uh, trilogy and this idea of the totality being dark matter and, and you know, what kind of mindset that would put them in when regarding us, you know, that are life, Jim, but not as they know it. You know, I think that's a really cool concept and a really interesting idea that has been woven into this story. And, you know, the Shatnerverse aspects of it, the Kirk versus Picard, I get a little bit tired of probably, but, you know, like you said, it's the, it's the relationships between these characters. It's the psychology of how they interact that I really like. So, you know, I, I have to give this one probably a pretty high mark for a Shatnerverse novel. I'm going to give this one, I think, four out of five somatic wristband Comic-Con sensor things <laughs> because it's pretty good. It's pretty good. That's a really good rating there, those wristband things. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you have a collection. I do. I, I have quite a few. Calgary Comic and Entertainment Expo, Edmonton. Comic and Entertainment Expo, Las Vegas, Star Trek convention. Yeah. Shore leave. Got lots of them. <laughs> well, you're going on a convention soon, so people who are going might be able to run into you. Yeah, that's true. That's true. The Calgary Comic and Entertainment Expo is actually next month. And then, of course, Star Trek Las Vegas in August. So <gasps> You're going to be there? Yeah, I am. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So am I. <laughs> that's exciting. Hey, it'll be the first time the two of us meet in person. So if you guys are going to STLV, we want to see you too. It'll be fun. Yeah. Keep an eye out for us. I don't know that all of you will know what we look like. This is apparently a podcast. (laughs) No, but they'll know our voices. They'll hear it from across the room. That's true. We'll just have to walk around all the time saying, I'm just one of your hosts. (laughs) And with me as always. Exactly. (laughs) I love it. Wow, that's so nine Shatnerverse novels down, one to go. 
How cool is that? I know. It's uh, pretty exciting. Um, I don't even remember. I don't think I was, was I on when we did the first three? <laughs> was that you and Matt? I don't even remember. I'm not even sure. <laughs> I'm not sure either. I know I read them again. So anyway, as a listener, I read them or maybe I was on here. When we, I don't remember. But anyway, yeah. So we've done nine and we've got one more collision course. Uh, and uh, We're on a collision course with collision course in a few weeks. Yes, that's right. And this takes place um, during the academy years of Kirk and Spock and McCoy and such. So. Mm-hmm. Now, so this will be this is really the last time we see these characters in the 24th century like this i guess eh? it is yeah this is the last of the shatnerverse 24th century novels wow that's uh i i don't know that i'm gonna miss them <laughs> but it's it's interesting that we've finished those that's that's cool so we never know what happens to kirk that's true he that's lives true. on he could be out there into the 25th, 26th, 27th centuries. I mean, you never know. Just like William Shatner, he he lives on forever. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's been fun talking about William Shatner living forever today, but this isn't the only thing we've been discussing on the network. So here's a quick look at some of the other things you may have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.FM, The Edge, a Star Trek Discovery podcast. And good and bad things happen in life. Um, And I just try to go back to that good old Star Trek optimism and think that at the end of the day, I get to determine what happens here. Like even if the worst case scenario happens, um, I will still be okay at the end of it. Earl Grey. There, the, I haven't read them, but there is a series of Stargazer novels with him as the captain of the Stargazer. Is that what you were thinking of? Picard? Picard, yeah. Really? Yeah. Yeah, there's a, whole, there's a whole series. Oh, no, 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 I'm sorry. You're thinking Are, something I, else? I thought you said Stargate. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah. I was like, it's a crossover. Like, Picard is in Stargate. Yeah, Richard and... is crossing franchises over now. <laughs> and then Babylon 5 comes in. The 602 Club. I, I mean, I, I think it comes down to what is motivating Bond this time around. So re- regardless of the trappings, re- regardless of the, um, the the plot that we've set up, really for the first time, we've got Bond acting purely on his gut. The Ready Room. What was Star Trek in 1986? It was Federation, Klingons, and Romulans, right? No Borg, no Cardassians, no Bajorans, all and everything else from the next generation forward, right? And you were lucky if you got an Andorian or a Tellarite sprinkled in there somewhere that pops up in the background of a movie. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Check out all these shows and join the conversation about your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. And you'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're one of those people that gets your podcasts from Apple, be sure to hit the subscribe button in Apple Podcasts on iPhone, iPad, or Apple TV, or the desktop iTunes app to get the latest episodes as soon as they're published. And if you have the time, please leave us a star rating and written review. We really love those, and it helps us rise in the search results on iTunes. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Google Play Music, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, most third-party apps, and you can even stream and download the MP3 file from our website or grab the RSS link there as well.
If you'd like us to keep all these shows coming to you each and every week, you can become a patron on the network on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash trekfm. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash trekfm. Perks include early access to episodes, exclusive content, producer credits, and more, available through our special patrons website, Patron Zone. And it requires a lot of tons of money no just a great deal of money to produce host and distribute these shows each month so we really appreciate any support you can give us and uh, maybe you can join the team so find all the details at patreon.com slash trek fm we'd also love to hear your thoughts on today's show and any of the other episodes we've done there are many ways for you to get in contact with us the best place of course to join in the larger conversation is the babel conference you may have heard of that a few times it's our listeners group on facebook just type Babel, that's B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook and it should come right up. If you'd like to send us an email, you can use the form on our website at trek.fm contact. Choose to send to a show and select literary treks that'll come right to me and Bruce. You can also find the network on Twitter, we're at trek.fm, and on Facebook at facebook.com trek.fm. You can also find great deals on hotels and flights through Priceline.com. Just go to Priceline.com. Hashtag not a sponsor. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, but you know, we've had a lot of people joining our Goodreads group lately. So, uh, and there's been even more activity going in there. So if you want to be involved in our Goodreads group and see what we're currently reading and what we have coming up that we're reading, you can come into the group and see all that and join in the conversations. Just search for Literary Treks and join group and we'll let you right in. And we'd like to thank Norman C. Lau, Ken Tripp, Greg Rosier, Brandon Shamatala, Justin Ozer, and Jeffrey Harlan for their support of the Trek FM network and being associate producers for literary treks as well. So Dan, when you're not going to cons collecting all your wristbands, where can people find you? Well, you can find me taking pictures from those cons on Instagram.com slash Kurtrats47. I'm also on Twitter at Kurtrats. That's K-E-R-T-R-A-T-S. I'm on YouTube at youtube.com slash Productions, talking about Star Trek and, of course, all those comic cons that I love going to so much. And, of course, you can find me on Facebook in the Babel Conference. Now, Bruce, when you're not walking around an empty, abandoned spaceflight central on Vulcan wondering where the heck everyone is gone, where can we find you? Where is everybody? Where are you? Well, if you... If you- show up look for me you can find me on twitter i'm at admiral underscore rex you can find me talking star wars on the star wars report podcast but if you really want to find me go into the babel conference because we're all i'm always in there checking everything out and responding to things so that's where you'll find me well thanks everyone for listening and until next time live long and read on you call that light reading? To each his own, number one.